0: Hey, if you would grab a Bible and turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. If you don't have a Bible, grab one in a seat in front of you. The book of Exodus is just the very second book into that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, leave with that. That is our gift to you today. And then, hey, I got a really exciting way to start the sermon. I brought some pictures of some factories, so let's look at those. Anyone recognize this factory down in Louisville? Hey, recognize it? Who's been there? Who's been there? Uh, and humor me here. Uh, what is made at the Louisville Slugger Factory? Yeah, baseball bat. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, this one might be a little less recognizable. Anyone recognize this one? Any people who grew up in the region, help us out here. What is this here? Albany. Albanese Gummy Factory, okay? And just if you didn't know, uh, the Albanese Peach ring is the grand champion of all gummy bears, okay? Um, and so if you've been there, you might recognize that. Uh, picture of a third factory. Can anyone guess what this is depicting? It's an expression of the human heart. It's an artistic depiction of the human heart. And by the human heart, I don't mean uh, the blood pumping mechanism of our heart. I'm using the expression in the biblical sense of the the seat of our emotions or the spiritual headquarters of all things that flow from us. And so a question for us is, uh, what is made in the human heart? Idols, I set you up for that. But before we even get to there, we have to understand that the human heart was made to worship. And so from the heart is to come worship. We didn't, we didn't just gather here for worship today. We worship all the time. And even if you've walked in here today and, and you're here with a friend or some family member pulled you along and you would consider yourself uh, not a Christian or not spiritual in any sense, like I might upset you from the get-go by telling you you actually are a worshiper. It's just a matter of where that worship is directed and where that worship is oriented. Now, uh, because of the fall, because sin affects every single one of us in this room, and before we know Jesus, uh, we are completely captive to our sin, our heart gets sidetracked. And our heart get, the, the worship of our heart gets hijacked. And this is where our heart produces things that it worships that God never intended us to worship, and this is what we call idols. This is why John Calvin famously said, uh, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual idol factory, and every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the, the battle of that. Uh, we know how true that was pre-Jesus, and then we have all know the, the hangover that we've carried into even our walk with Jesus of how, how prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, how our heart can get hijacked to worship things it was never meant to worship. Um, as we look at Exodus 32, where we're at in the story, Moses is still literally up on his mountaintop experience with the Lord, like literally. He is meeting with God on the top of the mountain, the Lord has unpacked all those details that we've walked through in previous weeks. Uh, the Lord has unpacked the law that is to guide the worship of his people towards him. The Lord's unpacked the details of the tabernacle and this place where he would come manifest his presence in the midst of the community. All of those details, Moses is still up in that meeting, but back at the camp, while Moses is meeting with God, the people's hearts are going to be drawn away into an idolatrous worship. And now what's really beautiful for us is that, um, or I should say it's, it, it's hard, but it's beautiful. This isn't just a story that describes how God's people at one time were led away to worship idols. This, this chapter really unpacks for us how we too, how our hearts function in the making of idols. And so uh, I, I'm going to preach uh, really one sermon that I've broken up into two weeks. Uh, this week, here's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on how we make idols. And we're going to look at the, just the first paragraph of uh, Exodus 32 today and, and, and understand how is it that the human heart manufactures these idols. Because uh, we've got to acknowledge, before we can get to next week and how idols are broken to the glory of God, we got to understand that like all of us wrestle with idolatry much in the same way that these people were studying wrestled with idolatry. So in the next week, we're going to continue in the chapter that really outlines some beautiful ways how are idols broken and how are they broken to the glory of God. And so big idea over this week and next is simply this. We make idols for our glory. We break idols for God's glory. And as I, uh, lead us into a time in God's word. Let me just acknowledge before us, let me try to just maybe call something hidden and bring it to the light. Uh, When we talk about um, wrestling with the idols of our heart, there's gonna be a lot of spiritual war happening in our hearts here this morning, okay? There's gonna be a lot of opportunity for us to minimize areas God's putting his finger on and say, oh, it's really not that big of a deal. There's gonna be a lot of opportunity to take distractions, um, but I would just pray today that we would embrace the work that the Spirit of God seeks to do in our hearts this morning to release us, to release us from any bondage of idolatry that we have as we walk in here this morning. So let's just ask that he would do that in our midst. Father, we pray as your word is preached, would your word do what your word says it does? Lord, would your word uh, be living and active? Spirit of God, would you apply your word? As you see fit specifically into each of our hearts, you know our hearts better than we do, Lord. And so God, do a work in our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start in uh, chapter 32, we're, we're really going to see four ways we go about making... Idols, or, or, or four ingredients that go into how idols are crafted in our life. And the first one I want to point out to us is this. Uh, we make idols when, firstly, we think we have a better way than God's way. Idols are made when we think we have a better way than God's way. Look, look if you would, in Exodus 32, beginning in verse 1. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves. Together, to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. There's some things I want us to note there about what the people do. Again, as I've already said, Moses is still up meeting with the Lord. He was up with the Lord some, you know, about 40 days, and um, in the midst of their waiting. The people don't say, let us, let us gather for a prayer meeting and seek the Lord of what he would have us do in our waiting. Instead, the people, it says, gather. And who does it say they gathered? They gathered themselves There's no semblance of the Lord being thought about here. There's no vertical focus of their eyes and their hearts. They gather themselves together and they think they have a better way than God's way. And they go to Aaron, Moses' brother, who serves as the priest of the people, and they tell Aaron, make us God's. As for this Moses, we don't know what's become of him. We're scrapping God's way. We're scrapping God's timing. We're scrapping God's wisdom. And we're gathering amongst ourselves to come up with a plan that we think is better. And I would just note to us today that it's in these seasons of waiting when you're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting on His timing, you're waiting for Him to show up, that are often prime real estate for idols to be made. In that void, we tend to take things into our own hands and make plans that we think are better than God's plans. When we question His timing, it's a prime, prime real estate for idols to be made. When we question His goodness... God, if you were really good, you would have done things like this, that, or the other. It's prime real estate. It's, a, it's an environment for idolatry to thrive in. When we question his wisdom, again, it's prime real estate for idols to thrive in. And so the people are sick of waiting for Moses. They gather amongst themselves, and they think they have a better way than God's way. But now once an environment for idolatry has been set, how how are idols actually formed? How does the human heart actually go about crafting an idol? The second thing I want us to see from this paragraph is this. We take good things and make them God things. You know, so often when you talk about idolatry, you can think of like purely evil things. And there is the worship of purely evil things. Often, and probably for many of us in the room, our greatest struggle with idolatry, though, is taking good things God has given and turning them into God things. Look at what the people do here as they craft an idol, verse 2. So Aaron said to them, "'Take off the rings of gold "'that are in the ears of your wives, "'your sons and your daughters, "'and bring them to me.' "'So all the people took off the rings of gold "'that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron.' And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now when we read this, It is so easy for us as kind of modern people sitting in a church like this, you know, to look at this and just see the absolute craziness of it. How in the world do a group of people actually go from pulling a gold earring out of their ear, putting it in a pile with all of their friends' and family's gold earrings, melding that down, shaping it up into this form of a golden calf, and in actually, actually believing that this is somehow is some, some God who led them out of the land of Egypt. We see the craziness of this. We see that it is absurdity. But Idolatry is absurdity, and our idolatry is equally absurd. That sure, like, uh, like we've said many times throughout this series, you, you're, you're not going to go melt down the gold earrings in, in, in your house and, and cast it into some, some material idol probably leaving here today. And yet as we look at the idols that rage in our own heart and, and how our hearts craft those, it is equally as crazy and it is equally as sad when we talk about this point that we take good things and make them god things this can actually be really hard for us to get our to kind of get our hearts around because the reality is all that we have has been given to us by god do you believe that do you believe that all that we have has been given to us by god and god actually tells us he gives us things he's a good father who gives to his children he gives us things for our enjoyment. He gives us things to enjoy. And so when we receive good gifts from God and we enjoy those good gifts, the Lord, when, the, when those are all in their rightful place, the Lord is actually worshiped as God in that. Now, now the, 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 the hard part is because we have this sin hangover and, and, and there's this, this nature, there's this flesh inside of us. It is so easy for us to take good things and, and let it tip the scale to where we now are worshiping those good things. And we've now just crossed over into the land of idolatry. And so as we try to tease that out, how do we understand whether we're just enjoying some good things God has given to us or whether that has crossed into the land of idolatry? When we talked through the Ten Commandments, I brought three, these three questions before us, and I just bring them back before us to consider here this morning. Here are some p- potential idol-searching questions for us to just wrestle with in our own hearts today. The first is this. In moments of free time, what captivates my mind? what can, and i really want to emphasize the word captivates you know when we finally get some free space free time you're like some of you you're like i'm so tired nothing captivates my mind right just blank but if we really think about like what is it that our mind tends to just drift towards to meditate on to settle on and what might that tell us about any corners of worship in our heart uh, the second question I would raise is this What do I want so bad that when I don't get it, I get angry? And now we might be a little defensive on that. We're like, I don't get angry, I get agitated. Okay. What do I want so bad that when I don't get it, I get agitated? I get frustrated. It bothers me. Uh, last Sunday, uh, our kids had asked, I don't know, it was last Sunday evening, our kids had asked to watch a show or something. I don't know exactly what triggered all this. You know, can we watch a show? No. Well, I want to watch a show. Well, I don't care. If you want to watch show something some kind of conversation like that right and um and so they another one one of them had just kind of pushed it too far and so i walked over to the tv and i unplugged it and i wrapped the cord around it and i carried it up the stairs now you would have like you would have thought i don't you would have just thought it was a very ugly scene in my house right the, like, the, 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 the four-year-old twins are just like on the couch, like, what just happened? Seven-year-old's like, this is ridiculous. He didn't say ridiculous. He said in some seven-year-old way. The five-year-old's just crying. And, and, and I, I, I marched the TV upstairs, and then I came down, and I dropped the best pastor dad line on him that, that you could drop as a pastor dad. Here's what I said. Would your all's attitude look like this if I would have taken all your Bibles? You like that one? Huh? You like that one? <laughs> yeah, they didn't know what to do with that. Okay. <laughs> But I, I mean, I was just looking at the tone and temperature in our living room, and I just looked at Eric, and I'm like, we just put our finger on something here. And now, listen, I can be hard on my kids because they're not in this service yet, right? I got a couple more years till I can't tell stories like that anymore. Um, but my kids' heart are no different than their daddy's heart. And in... For me, it wasn't too much of a struggle to unplug a TV and carry it upstairs. But I'll tell you, you remove some things from my life, you'll see a pretty agita- agitated daddy in their life. And, and just what is it that when we, we want it so bad that when we don't get it, there's anger that arises? Third question I'd raise up, what, what am I willing to just knowingly and blatantly sin to get? That's, I mean, that's like blinking red light sign of idols in our life, right? The, we know where the Lord has put the, like, road closed do not cross sin and suffering ahead, and we just take a Mack truck and drive straight through it because, frankly, we want whatever that will give us more than we want to please God. We want that pleasure more than we want to please God. We want that significance more than we want to please God. We want that comfort more than we want to please God. And so just these are some things that as we wrestle in our heart, where is it that we've maybe even taken good things and we've made them God things? And so the people here, the environment's been set. They've gathered amongst themselves and said, we don't know where Moses is. You know, Aaron, do something. Give us a God. And so Aaron goes about crafting this idol, crafting this little G God in their midst. But this is where things get get very, very sad. Once the idol's crafted, what do you do with the idol? The third thing we see here is this. We give these gods worship due only to God. These idols then get the worship that's due only to God look at what they do here in uh, verse five when Aaron saw this when he saw that the people had said you know these are your gods Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt when Aaron saw this he built what's he build he builds say it with me he builds what he builds an altar. Now I just want to stop there because I want us to remember Moses is up on the top of the mountain and the Lord is giving Moses instructions for altars and he's like here's how it's to be built. Here's what's to be burnt on that. Here's how that this altar is to be used for my worship and back in camp Aaron is literally building an altar for the worship of an idol but then it, it gets even more twisted because idolatry is really twisted Look at what Aaron says next. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to this golden calf. Is that what your Bible says? Tomorrow shall be a feast to to the Lord. Like in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. This is jacked up. Like if you can visualize the scene back in the camp, the idol's been crafted, the golden calf, the altar's been built in front of the idol, and now Aaron has said somehow he's mixing and he's integrating this idol worship with worship to Yahweh. And this is just utterly, utterly detestable in the sight of a holy God. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. Burnt offerings and peace offerings were to be acts of worship to the Lord. And they're giving this little g, this fake God worship that is due only to God. Now, we have to understand what's going on when we give idols... Worship that is due only to God. The the first thing we need to understand is who actually is being worshiped when we start to worship idols. Who is actually being worshiped when we start to worship idols? Yourself. Ed Welch, he wrote an article on the motives of the heart. It's really good. Um, I wish I had the title. Just Google it, Ed Welch, motives of the heart. You'll find it. But he says this, Idolatry is about me. My desires, my wants. My purpose is not to exalt the idol above myself, but to use the idol to give me what I want. So, when money is an idol, it's not necessarily that we just want to worship money, we want to use money to get what we want. If sexual pleasure is an idol, it's not that we're ultimately worshiping sexual pleasure. We're using that to get what we want. We're exalting ourselves. And it's so important that we understand when we're giving worship to idols, we're ultimately exalting ourselves. But another thing within this point that's really important for us to understand is this. God is not interested in us integrating idolatrous worship with the worship of Him. He's not interested in those things mixing. It's detestable to him. God has no interest in appeasing our conscience by allowing us to worship our idols while just slapping a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of them. Idol worship is detestable in the heart, to the heart of our God. And as this lands heavy on us, We just ask for the gentle conviction of the spirit to apply that anywhere he sees fit in our own hearts. And so when you have an environment for idol worship and you have the crafting of the idol and and then you have the heart bowing to that idol, there's this fourth thing that we have to understand that continues to feed a life of idolatry. And the fourth is this, we live with the idol as if all is enjoyable and fun. Look at what it says here at the end of verse six. I'll start at the beginning of six. They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to what? Come on, say it. They rose up to what? They rose up to play. If you have an NIV translation, it'll talk about uh, they partook in revelry. This, this, this loud, uh, you know, celebration. And now. Uh, biblical scholars will, will kind of speculate what all could, be, could that entail of, of what the people of God are living like here. But here's what we do know and what we'll read in the rest of the chapter next week. That as um, Moses is making his way back down the mountain, before he sees the camp, he'll hear the partying in the camp. And so they are living right now in the midst of their idol worship as if life is fun and this is good and they are partying in the midst of this and it's really important for us to just look each other in the eye at church here today and just say this. So much of the reason why we continue in the life of sin or continue in the life of idolatry is because the sin feels fun. Remember discipling a guy? early in his walk with the Lord, and just continued to kind of be drugged back into kind of the party scene. And I just like, man, why? Like, why do you keep going back? And he just looked at me, and I just remember the simplicity of it, because it's fun. Now, I want you to note what I said. I said, sin feels fun. I didn't say sin is fun, because on the other side of those seasons of sin feeling fun is what? the pain of those seasons of chasing after that sin. Then on the other side of of this partying and them rising up to play, like when we get to it next week, you're going to see the consequences of what happens as we chase after idolatrous worship. We enjoy life with our idols until we don't enjoy it. And let me tell you something, I promise you, the season of not enjoying it always comes. Because an idol's fake. Its promises will never deliver. It will always let you down. And as we tether worship to things God never intended us to worship, there's always pain on the other side of that. Now let me just ask this. Because next week we're going to get to... um, how do we break idols? How are, how are how is our bondage to idolatrous worship ultimately broken in the power of Christ? But I don't want you to have to wait till next week for some hope on that. We make idols for our glory. We break idols for God's glory. How are idols broken? Where in the midst of maybe some of these words landing heavy on our heart today because we know exactly some things the Lord is going after, where do we turn to for hope? Where can idolaters go for hope? I want to show us something in Hebrews chapter 4 that I hope will give us some sense of hope today. In Hebrews 4, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Let me just stop there and say some things about that. In this story of Exodus 32, what did their priest do? What did Aaron do? He made them an idol to worship. Aaron, as the priest in that time, got sucked into the temptation with everyone else of crafting an idol for them to turn their hearts in worship to. I want you to understand what Hebrews chapter 4 holds out as hope for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without what? Yet without sin. Like I don't like I don't know if you're crushed this morning, with how some of these words have landed in your heart. Uh, maybe you're not crushed. Maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to get your attention, and you just keep saying it's not a big deal. 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 But maybe you'll finally tune your ear to what He's whispering, and you'll say, "Okay, it's a big deal." I don't know if you feel overwhelmed in any sense of shame over uh, what God is revealing as idols in your heart, but here's what I do want you to hear. As you bring those to your great high priest Jesus Christ today, he is not saying, oh, I can't, re- I can't relate to that temptation at all. No, he was tempted in every way just as we, we are, and yet he was, he's the better priest than Aaron was. He's the greater priest than Aaron was. Why? because he was without, without what? He conquered all of those. He never succumbed to all of those. And because the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have him as our great high priest, doing the mediating work for us, our, our idolatrous hearts, it goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? So where is hope today for idolatrous hearts? The ability to approach God's throne of grace through our perfect high priest whom we've cast all of our hope on. Let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive, may receive what? Mercy. God withholding what we rightfully deserve and find grace. God giving us what we don't deserve to help in the time of need. And so where do idolatrous hearts find hope today? It is in the mercy and the grace of a loving Heavenly Father. You know what you didn't need coming in here for a sermon on idolatry? is for me to stand up here and just rail on you, stop being idolaters. You're like, I knew that before I got here today. You know what we do need today? We need to see in a way that only the Holy Spirit can illumine in our hearts the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of a perfect high priest. And in seeing him, we see him so good for how good he really is that by the time you walk out of these double doors today, you see him as so superior and so much, so much more worthy of your worship than any disgusting fake idol you walked in here with today. The only way idolatry is rooted out of our life is when it's eclipsed by the glory of God. I pray He eclipses it in our hearts today. So we just say together prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, but here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. High priest, take and seal it. You are so much better than anything else. My heart is always prone. Amen. So would you stand with me? I want to end, we want to end with a time of worship where we just declare some of these truths that Jesus, you are better, more worthy of our worship than anything our heart will be prone to look to this week. Father, as we end this time today, we sing our praises to you. Lord, we, des- we, 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 we declare that you are worthy. Lord, we declare that you are better. Lord, we declare that you are holy. Uh, Lord, we declare that you are ultimate. Lord, we declare that you are God, big G God. Lord, we declare that no one can rival you. Lord, we declare your goodness. Lord, we, we, we confess to you today that our hearts are prone to attribute and ascribe some of those things I've just listed to other things. But Lord, we set you in your rightful place on your rightful throne here today. Lord, get all of our worship because all praise, honor, and glory are yours and yours alone. And we declare this together as your people in Jesus' name.